So we've been in this series called Who is Jesus? And we've been really looking at exactly who is Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. So if you'll remember back what seems like an eternity ago, we started out with Jesus is a man, right? And we just basically unveiled that Jesus was a real person who lived, okay? And if you can remember back to what was three weeks ago, the last week that we met in here, we talked about Jesus was a servant. And we talked about how he had a servant's mentality, how he washed the disciples' feet and how that was symbolic of what he came to do to their hearts, how he came to cleanse them. So this week, we're going to talk about Jesus being a king, okay? And this may sound kind of weird because guess what? We really don't have kings a whole lot anymore. Like England has a king. I'm sure some other countries still have kings. But even even in England, the king isn't actually the king anymore. He's just a figurehead. They have a prime minister that's equivalent to our president. And but the king is just, you know, just a royal figure. So kings don't really exist like they used to anymore. And I think whenever I say a king, we all have some sort of like medieval picture of some like, maybe some, I don't know, I don't want to say fat, but some big guy sitting in a big chair with all this gold around him and like a big golden crown and like people, he's like eating a giant turkey leg. Like, I don't know. That's like what I picture whenever I think of like a real king. You know, like, and I don't think that in our modern culture, we have a real good idea or understanding of what a king is, like what it means to be a king. So as I started to prepare to try to illustrate to you guys that Jesus is a king, I first had to look at what does it mean to be a king? What does that actually mean? And so I did a little digging. I looked at four different resources, four different like dictionary definitions. And I really came up with three pieces, like three criteria that someone needs to have to be a king. All the definitions said basically these three things are what makes someone a king. So one... They rule land or territory or people, right? So they're a ruler. They have something, excuse me, they have something that they rule, okay? Two, they are established by birth. So kings have to be born into a royal family, okay? And three, they have authority, meaning they are someone, the definition said, One to whom everyone is subject and one who subjects himself to no one. So basically, people answer to the king, but the king answers to no one. Okay, that's authority. So when we really boil it down, we have three criteria that make up a king. One, ruler of something. Two, bloodline, meaning they have a family of royals. And three, they have authority. So for for Jesus to be defined as a king in our human sense of the word, 
he must fulfill these three tri- criteria. Okay? So we're going to look at the Bible. Again, we're using the Bible to try to prove that Jesus is these things. Right? As we look at all these things. Put that away. As we look at all these different things, we're looking at the Bible proving that Jesus is all of these things. So we're going to look in the Bible and see if it can prove that Jesus is ruler over something, that Jesus is of a royal bloodline, and that Jesus uh, has authority over people. Okay? So, let's start with the easiest one. Is that fair with everyone? We're going to do the bloodline. Okay? Because bloodline is the only one that's really not... That's like super tangible. Like we could literally look at his family tree and we could determine if Jesus has a royal bloodline. So I've told you guys that each of the four Gospels illustrates parts of who Jesus is. And if you'll remember our first one, Jesus is man. We looked at the book of Luke and Luke was a doctor and he had authority to speak and say that Jesus was a human. Right. Because being a doctor, he knew what a human was, I guess. But. We looked at the book of Luke points to Jesus as a human. And two, three weeks ago, we looked at the book of Mark. And the book of Mark shows that Jesus is a servant. Okay? So today, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew is intended to illustrate Jesus as a king. <clears throat> and the book of Matthew starts off with something interesting. And if you turn to Matthew 1, you don't have to, but if you do... It's just before the Christmas story. And Matthew 1 is literally a giant family tree. Okay? It's the genealogy of Jesus. It literally says so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so. And it goes through all these families, all these generations, down to Jesus. Now, there's a, first, there's a few things. There's four things we need to know before we understand why this family tree is at the beginning of Matthew. I'm going to run through these quickly. One, the number seven is important in the Bible. Okay? If you, know, if you don't know this about the Bible, numbers are super important. The number seven is super important in the Bible. It is a number that represents completion. It is a perfect number according to the Bible. You look at God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. Seven was complete. Okay? You look at lots of different things in the Bible. You look at, I think everyone knows this part of Revelation that talks about the number of the Antichrist or, or the devil is 666. Okay, like a lot of people know that fact. That's one thing that people know about the Bible. But what you may not know is right there it says the number of God is 777. Okay, so 6 represents incomplete, not good enough. That's why 666 is the devil. 777 is a number of completion. It's a number of God. Okay? So the number seven is important. Remember that. That comes into play. Two, we need to know who Abraham is. Okay? If you read in the Old Testament, Abraham is known as the father of God's people. Okay? Do you remember the, if any of you grew up in church and you remember singing the song, Father Abraham had many sons? Yeah. Okay. That's the Abraham we're talking about here. Okay? For those of you who didn't grow up in church, Abraham's just a big, big time guy that like, God appointed him like the father of his people, okay? Even though he only had one son, but he's known as like the great father. So, one, seven's important. Two, Abraham's important. Three, David's important. 
How many of you guys know the story of David and Goliath? Okay, yeah. Basically, David is wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. And Goliath's hefty, hefty, hefty. But David beats Goliath, okay? And David becomes a great king of the people of Israel, God's people. David is the great king, okay? If you look in the history, the records, David is seen as the greatest king in Israel's history. Big time dude, okay? David is important in Scripture. Also, we'll get into this later, but David is the king, not only viewed as the greatest king of Israel, but also the one whose throne or their bloodline was promised by God to be established forever. Okay, if you look in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16, we see God promised that David's throne, his bloodline, will rule forever. Okay, so it's prophetic. It's a prophecy that... David, his bloodline will contain the Messiah, okay, the king that will rule forever. Fourth and finally, there's an important part of history where God's people, the Israelites, are exiled or they're kicked out of Israel. They're the promised land from God and they're sent to live in a place called Babylon, okay? So these are important things. So when we look at this family tree, I just need you to remember those things. We're not going to talk about them in detail. Seven, Abraham, David, exile. Okay? Seven, David, seven, seven, Abraham, David, exile. So as we go through the beginning of Matthew, remember we're looking at Jesus' family tree. Okay, guess where it starts? The father, right? Abraham. If you go from Abraham and you go through two cycles of seven generations... Okay, so seven and then seven, 14. You get to David. Okay. So you go from Abraham, two numbers of perfection, to the great king, who's promised throne to rule forever. You go through two more cycles of seven, 14 more generations, and you get to the exile when Jesus is, when God's people were kicked out of Israel. You go through two more cycles of seven. Okay, you're thinking something pretty important is going to happen right there, right? Do we all agree? Yeah. Two cycles of seven, we have David. Two cycles of seven, and we have an exile. Two cycles of seven, and guess what we have? Jesus. Okay? So the book, right off the bat, the book of Matthew is coming out swinging, basically claiming through a family tree... That one, Jesus is the marker of two cycles of seven generations, meaning he has a messianic prophecy to fulfill. And two, it proves that Jesus is of the bloodline of not just a king, but of the great king, the one whose throne was promised to rule forever. We'll get more into what this means next week and what we talk about. But right off the bat, we can clearly see that the man of Jesus, who, again, we talked about many weeks ago, has been historically proven and biblically proven to have lived, was of the bloodline of a king. Okay? 
Regardless of what else you believe about Jesus, he was a man who lived and he was of the bloodline of King David. So he was of royal blood. So we can check that off our list. So again, if our three criteria are blood, rule, and authority, we've got bloodline. Okay, that one's covered. The easy one. So two, let's look at rule. So to be a king, you have to be able, you have to rule over something. You have to have land, territory, or people that you rule over. And based on what we just read and understood, the people or land that Jesus would be the king over, that he would need to rule over, would be the people of Israel or the Israelites. Okay? Those are God's people. Really beyond him either ruling over Israel or the Israelites, we would need some sort of other proof that he is of a different royal blood. Right? Because that is the royal bloodline that he is in, is the ruler of Israel. So let's look at what the Bible says about Jesus being the ruler of Israel. So we're going to be in Luke 1, which this is part of the Christmas story. And we're going, to, we're going to start in verse 30. And this is when Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, a messenger of God, visits Mary to tell her that she's pregnant with Jesus. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will never end. Okay, so we see here David's kingdom was promised to rule forever, right? His throne would be ruled forever. And we see the angel directly quoting saying, your son, Jesus, who is of the line of David, will rule his throne forever. Okay, he is the answer to who will rule David's throne forever. And so we also see him say that he will say that he will rule over the house of Jacob. Okay, so let's look at what this means. Jesus will be the ruler of Israel and the Israelites. But what is the house of Jacob? If you look back to Matthew 1 in the family tree, we talked about Abraham being the great father, right? So Abraham's grandson was named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons that are known as the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? But what's interesting is if you look back in Genesis 32, Genesis 32, 28, Jacob has this weird encounter with what we can assume was either an angel or God himself, and he wrestles with him, okay? Like they're disagreeing or something, I don't know, but they're wrestling. And Jacob asked for this angel, this spiritual being, to bless him. And the being, the spiritual being, the angel, God, whatever you want to say it is, changes his name. He says, you will no longer be, you will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel. Okay, so that's where we get the name Israel. For the country, for the people. It's because Jacob was... Israel, and he had 12 sons who become, became the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, if you look at Jewish history. So when Gabriel says to Mary that he will rule the throne of David and over the house of Jacob, it's a double down on the fact that he will be the ruler of Israel. Okay? So we look at this, 
And not only do we see the angels say this, but we see this posted like when Jesus was being crucified on the cross, he was being killed on the cross. They hung a sign over him that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. And they meant it as a joke, like they meant it to mock him. But it showed in that moment, whether it was to mock him or not, that that was what people believed he was. King of the Jews, which are the Israelites. God's people. So it's clear that Jesus has the bloodline and that Jesus has the people and the territory to rule, okay? So we've seen bloodline from David. We've seen the people, territory to rule between the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the Israelites. So finally, we're going to look at the hardest thing to prove is authority. Now, again, I want to state that we're looking at this from a biblical proof, okay? So if someone wants to come up here and argue and be like, well, Jesus doesn't really have authority, okay, like that's an earthly sense, but we're looking at everything being proved through the Bible. We've started that from the beginning. Everything's been proved through the Bible. We have to understand that the Bible says that God has total and complete control, total authority. Anyone who has authority is given it by God. Okay, we have to understand the Bible teaches that. Okay, so we all have to be on the same page. So literally what we're saying right now is for Jesus to be a king, we need God himself to give Jesus authority. That's a pretty tall order. Okay? So we understand what worldly authority looks like, right? So like here, you guys might laugh at this, but stay with me for a second. So here I have authority. Not funny, Jace. Here I have authority. At home, your parents have authority, believe it or not. At school, as much as you may despise it, your teachers and principals have authority. They do. Sorry. They do. In our country, our lawmakers have authority, as much as we may hate that. Our lawmakers have authority. But in reality, true authority only comes from God. That's why when we look at the Bible, we see the Roman authority, the Roman government crucified Jesus. And it looks like from an earthly perspective that Jesus has no authority. Right? Like if we saw someone get arrested and taken to prison, we would think, okay, that person has no authority. That's what we would think. Jesus was arrested, killed. It looks like he doesn't have authority. But in a critical moment that I want to look at, it's in John 18, verses 36 and 37. Jesus is on trial, and he goes before a man named Pilate, who was a Roman governor, like basically like over a certain state. And Jesus is on trial, and Pilate is questioning him, and here's what Jesus says in John 18. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And Pilate said to him, are you even a king then? And Jesus answered, you say it rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. Now Jesus says a lot here. And we're going to look more at this next week. Okay. So I understand that as I'm making this case, there's going to be a hole right here. But we're going to fill that hole next week. 
when we fill in the rest of this picture. But we see Jesus' territory that he says he rules is not just Israel and the Israelites, but it's a kingdom, a territory that is not of this world. That's what he's claiming. And we also see Jesus himself personally claiming that he is a king. He says he's a king, right? Pilate says, are you even a king then? And he says, you are right. Basically saying without saying it, that he is a king. So how can this all work? How can Jesus be a king if he doesn't have authority that we just saw? How can, be, how can Jesus be a king who is by definition not subject to another person, but being subjected to the world in the fact that he was arrested, abused, and killed by them? And the reason is really what we looked at, what we said that Jesus would need in the first place. And it's that God himself gives Jesus this authority. And what I think is very interesting here, and we're going to look at where God gives Jesus this authority. We've been looking at the book of Matthew and how the book of Matthew lays out the fact that Jesus is king. And it started with what? Proving Jesus' bloodline, right? That's the first thing in Matthew. Proves that Jesus has a royal bloodline. The whole book of Matthew shows his life and the time that he spent with the people of Israel. It shows his rule on earth. And then here's the coolest part right here. The last passage of Matthew is where we see Jesus claim God's authority, that God has given him authority. Guys, I can't make this up. Okay, I'm going to read it to you in just a second. But I pulled these definitions from multiple sources on the internet and multiple different dictionaries that are probably written and defined by people who do not want you to believe that Jesus is a king. Let's just be real. People who write these probably do not believe that Jesus is king and don't want other people to believe it. And yet, the definitions that they write for what a king is, who a king is, perfectly fits the narrative of a book in Matthew that was written over 2,000 years ago. It shows that everything that Jesus was and everything he did, he is undeniably a king. Because it starts with a royal bloodline. It shows a rule And then it ends with this, a show of authority. And it's in Matthew 28, which is the last chapter of Matthew. And it's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The last three verses of of Matthew says Jesus came to them. And he's talking to the disciples here. He came to the disciples and he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. That is the end of the book of Matthew. And guys, I, I, I wish there was some way I could explain that. 
that 2,000 years ago, someone wrote, someone wrote a total and complete proof of Jesus' kingship, knowing that 2,000 years later, every definition on the di- of, in a dictionary that you could find on the internet or in a book would perfectly match it. There's no way they could have known that. The only way that that could happen is because God knew what he was doing when he crafted the book of Matthew. When he told Matthew what to write, when to write it, how to write it. That God knew that we would be sitting here 2,000 years later asking the question, is Jesus a king? And need the definition of a king to match what was written 2,000 years earlier. Now, admittedly, guys, I pointed out when there were holes in what I was trying to prove. And I promise you, we're going to fill in those holes next week. When we unpack the claim, and I'm going to spoil it for you right now. Next week, we're going to talk about that Jesus is God. Which is a hard thing to prove. Right? It's something that is debated, refuted, argued about. Probably the hardest thing to to prove. But if you can prove it. It means that Christianity is true. So next week we're going to be looking at the claim that Jesus is God. It's a big one. And I, I promise you don't want to miss it. It's going to literally tie everything we've been learning in the last three times we've been here together. It's going to fill all the holes that all the stuff we've been talking about has had. So be here next week. Invite your friends to come next week because... I mean, if no one wants to hear someone try to prove that Jesus is real, like, what are they even doing? Like, everyone wants to hear that argument, right? So, be here next week, invite your friends, and we're going to look at how all this stuff ties together. Okay? I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we got about 15 minutes or so. You guys can hang out and chill. Sweet? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for... For who Jesus is. I thank you for sending him to this earth. Thank you for giving him the authority. So that he could be a king. God it's so important for us to believe that Jesus is king. Of this world. That he is a ruler. That he is authority over us God. Pray that you would just continue to reveal these truths to us. As we study your word. That we can. We can continue to look at who Jesus is and see the truth. Not see what this world tells us, not see what anybody else tells us, but see the honest truth of who Jesus is. God, we thank you so much for all you do for us, and I pray for a blessing on these students as they go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.